Hello and welcome to The Fourth Wall with your host today, Isaac Kidd. Today we have Matt Goward and Ryan Heath and we will be talking about Pixar's Soul. You alright? Hello! <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yeah, I've just never, I've never heard you so serious before. But um, <laughs> can I uh, just say a brief word from our sponsors this this episode? Sure. We are we are sponsored by Ray Fiennes' Suffolk accent in the Netflix <laughs> original film, The Dick. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'm so glad you mentioned it's that. So it's so good. Like, oh my god, it's yeah. amazing, isn't and, it? I can't explain it to anyone who doesn't know yeah. it. Brian, can you can you do an impression of it at all with your um? Oh, I can't think of anything he says because I haven't seen it yet. I've just seen the trailer. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any but... any Suffolk accent that you could pull out. Okay, so if I was from Suffolk and I was I was going shopping, I'd go, I'd be going shopping. I wouldn't be going shopping. I'd be going shopping, and I'd be going up Taywood. I'd be going shopping up Taywood. Up Taywood. Up Taywood, boy. I'd be going shopping. <laughs> My nan was really Suffolk and always used to say toll instead of towel. <laughs> Like, have you got a toll up there, man? Toll. <laughs> toll. My dad says, um, he says, cube instead of cube. Oh, <laughs> it's the oohs, isn't it? It's the oohs and the yeah, yeah, two and. <laughs> and it's it's all like it. pushing your mouth forward, isn't it? Your lips forward. Mm, a Rubik's cube. Yeah, I love it. Uh, but yeah, thanks, it's, it's good. It's good. The dig. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It rem- it it made me realise why Suffolk. Uh, no, why Sutton Who is actually quite boring. The actual place <laughs> is because the the British Museum has everything that from it. Right. Like when I yeah. moved to London, I went to the British Museum um, on like the fourth day I lived there, and the and then I just got to an exhibition which was an entire floor dedicated to Sutton Hoo, and I thought I just can't oh, fucking get no. away from it. Can't get away from Suffolk. Rafe is following you in your in your in your streaming platforms. Ray <laughs> Fiennes, he, he's an Ipswich lad, isn't he? Is he yeah, not? He's, yeah, he was born in Ipswich. They, was that, he? That's cool. But that's I cool. think he moved to Ireland when he was about 10 or something. Ah, fair enough. So he still had to have cool. a dialect coach. It's like um, Gary Oldman had oh, to wow. have a dialect coach for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, even though he is English. Wow. Because he's lived in America so long that he's, his accent makes no sense now. I often wonder that. Wow. My, um, I've got an uncle who... Lives in, he teaches English in Japan, um, but he spent, uh, I think, 15 years living in Scotland and he's from Suffolk. So he's got this really sort of transatlantic, uh, not even transatlantic because it's Japan, but um, yeah. <laughs> this trans, transcontinental, yeah. Um, Fantastic. Sort of accent. Well, you listeners at home, you can find your vocal coach on freelancer.com or any of the various uh, freelance websites available. <laughs> uh, help yourself to a Suffolk, a transatlantic, a <laughs> Persian, if that's your fancy. Thank help you very much. to me, I'm on there. <laughs> what a so... teaching, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> The language of love. <laughs> language of love. Oh, a language needed I like for most. It. Right, so from love to soul to Pixar's 25th film. That's probably not correct. <laughs> uh, 23rd film. There you are. But yeah. they have 25 like years, years of film, film history, pretty much, since 1995. So let's begin at the beginning with um lucas film 
Lucasfilm Limited, George Lucas at the helm, oh, yeah. pouring money into computers. Literally, he's got dollars and dollars and dollars, and they're turning into screens to mouses to, you know, oh, gold. Yeah. I heard he had this. I heard he would often put wads of cash into blenders and uh, yes and, uh, and, and out came empire strikes back it was just crazy <laughs> and and basically he he's the visionary filmmaker he is didn't have the vision for a computer a whole computer generated film um which sounds surprising considering the amount of computer generation in later star wars films and basically it took uh, the tech entrepreneur steve jobs to take up the the likes of John Lasseter, Peak Doctor, and Ed Catmull, I believe is his name, uh, to put Pixar on the map and uh, invest in a feature film which was to be called Toy Story. Bam. That's a, that's a good film, that is. A very good film. 1995, the year I was born. Yeah. The year we were all born. So we were all we born came into, in We this came year. into the world with Toy Story. And we pro- I probably watched this film when I was five years old. And on, on the video, it was fantastic. Honestly, I was obsessed. I had toys. I still have toys. I have a Woody. I have a Buzz Lightyear. I have, I have it all. But the, inge- the ingenious of Pixar was how, what happens to your toys at night. And I think this like, transcends film and becomes more of a... Um, ecological factor and we think about throwing things away and how how long do objects have life for yeah so i want to throw it out to you two how long do your objects have life and do you think that they themselves have a soul which which comes to life i mean what any like let's go for it what comes to life in your life have you have you been on dmt today I really, love, I really love that question, Isaac. Um, I just had a cucumber. <laughs> I mean, hey, the compound is present in all living beings. Um, <laughs> there you go. Ah, uh, okay. Hmm. Do I? How long do my objects last? Quite a long time, I think. Especially now, since I tend to buy less and less and less things. Um, yeah. I don't you... <laughs> have enough. I don't own many toys from my childhood. I have to admit, I probably have maybe two, and they're not—they're not with me there at my parents' place. Like a te- two teddy bears, um, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. Do you own any, Matt? Yeah, uh, in my wardrobe, uh, on like, or like my walk-in cupboard thingy, I've got a top shelf, and that is just literally where every single toy, like mostly the cuddly ones, are from my childhood. I can't bear to throw them away. The saddest part, though, is that my favourite, the one that had the most importance to me, was a cuddly gorilla that I named Mickey. This this gorilla was so important to me throughout all my life. I like gorillas were my, my no, they still are my favourite animal. I was obsessed with them. Were you aware of the hit character Mickey Mouse when you called your gorilla Mickey? Do you know what it was more named after? It was named after Oh Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey Mickey, hey Mickey, which was a song I loved when I was a kid. Well, that's wicked. Written by a Gorilla, that song. Interestingly, yeah. <laughs> Written by uh, a Gorilla. But yeah, uh, my mum at one point a few years ago was fostering a cat that looked that loved this gorilla, like absolutely loved it. 
yeah. I've got videos. I'll send them to the chat. <laughs> I've just got this but... image of you having an actual gorilla in your room. Like, <laughs> uh, <and> <laughs> I wish. I wish. It's like it's like me. It's like Attenborough meeting the gorillas, me uh... on my bed, just <laughs> surrounded by them. Like Bolo yeah. from the Mighty Boosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this cat bloody loved this gorilla. Like, would sleep on it. Would do the pouring, making the bed thing. You know that cats do because it's like they associate it with their mum. It's like the kneading for milk thing. It means they love yeah. you very much. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love th- this thing so much. When my mum uh, was r- finished fostering it um, and took it to the RSPCA, they this took... Is, this is took the cat, not the gorilla. The cat, yeah, the cat. But she, she took... My mum put the gorilla in with my cat, with the cat in the cage and would like... Uh, yeah, you know, let her have this while she's looking for her home. Once she's got it, can you send the gorilla back? And they never sent it back, and we don't know where it is. Oh, I'm very sad about fuck. it. Wow. Oh, that's like literally one that's of the p- sort of part of the plot, isn't it? Um, when Andy loses the toys. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get yeah, to that. So that we're, we're 1995. Toy Story uh, came out, and then three years later, A Bug's Life, and this film is a treasure this film literally puts you the perspective of ants and i mean there was there was at this time there were um ants another z and they, they have slightly it's... more in common than you want because isn't kevin spacey in a bug's life isn't he the grasshopper he's the grasshopper yeah and isn't woody allen in ants isn't he yeah. the star of Ants? Yeah, yeah. So two now quite troublesome <laughs> films about bugs. A Bug's Life, though, is honestly, you've, you've watched that again and again and again. It is... I haven't seen to- it in years. I haven't it's seen totally, it since I was It's yeah, totally fantastic, honestly. It, it's, the art direction alone is what makes Pixar stand out from Ants. It literally is just like this visual treat, as well as... They, they're leading with emotion. We'll get to that with Pixar and yeah, Ants was sort of like brown, wasn't it? Ants was like very sort of fleshy and like <laughs> fleshy hyper and real. Kind of, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe brown's the wrong word. I mean, I mean yeah, like be earthy, careful monotone. what you say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean monotone. You know, it was super, yeah. super. Oh, was, you mean, yeah. kind of like Fallout Three, just very yeah, man. Just not very nice to look at. All, yeah. all the same color. No, I get you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so bugs having souls, and after after that did fairly well, fairly well. Um, they the 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 team went back for a second Toy Story, which was I my favorite. Better. It was my favorite yeah. for a while, but I think after watching another Toy Story again, and I don't know, they they're all just they're all pretty good. So, um, yeah, do you remember Toy Story two? What what was your um, opinion of it? Yeah, this is the one I watched the most when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I think I watched it more than any other film. It was Toy yeah. Story two. I used to love the, like the whole scene with, uh, the guy repairing Woody, like the detail oh of yeah, like yeah. and like the magnifying glass and just like yeah, it looks fucking amazing. And single... In my head, it still looks incredible. Yeah. Like yeah, the thread. Oh, it's it was so just this. Isn't it? The, the thing, the, the Toy Story two was more about. Uh, looking after your toys, wasn't it? Because uh, mm-hmm. Jesse got thrown away, discarded, and there's this constant theme. Um, 
and and about friendship and and I think this is the film as well where they just had this uh Randy Newman song play over the sequence of Jesse and it was just God, you know it was just like a message not just to girls because obviously it was a, a young girl having a cowgirl toy um which I think is quite important because you know there's a lot of male led characters in yeah the two previous films but yeah that's that's the amazing diversity of pixar so 2001 monsters inc bam personal favorite of mine i think this might be my favorite ever pixar film of all time ever 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 yep i almost did monsters inc today but i think you know doing this whole roundup with with soul and included will work no i think it's good i i have a strong feeling that we will probably do one episode on pretty much every pixar film but i like (laughs) this sort of introduction of going through them all with the purpose of then having a talk about soul because every every pixar film is so important a hundred percent totally maybe not cars too Actually, I prefer Cars 2 to Cars 1. What am I saying? <laughs> well, Monsters Inc., Monsters Inc., although it's about monsters, it's such a human film. It's about caring and it's about, uh, you know, plowing down those presumptions that you have about things like people telling you that uh, this is the way it's supposed to be. And uh, yeah, a lot of lessons to be learned at such a young age. I think I was five again when I watched this for the first time. I mean, I was six when it came out. Such amazing... Um monster design as well oh my god i love the monster design like all the the um like the head of the the like of monsters inc the spider guy oh yeah who's who's unlike any other sort of spider you've seen like an anthropomorphized when he's got that coffee and it's like sludge and you're just like so good i'd love to drink a glass of sludge yeah And I, I love Mike Wazowski and Mike Wazowski and Celia. Put that thing back where it came from. So help me. So help me. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah, oh. you've got you've got this huge fluffy blue thing, and this tiny little green eyeball yeah. of a character, and you just what that's literally the film for what ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, man. You, like, I mean, it's... where else? Where else does that happen in films? Like, hello. So otherworldly, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, so tight and yet to so our own human. Work. Yeah, it literally yeah, is. Yeah. The commodification of fear as well with the gas that they would. Oh, oh my God. Such yeah. pot- potent themes. So, obviously, Billy Crystal voices Mike Wazowski. Did you know that the reason why he took it, and I think he took it without even reading the script, is because he turned down the part of Buzz Lightyear. Shit. And it went to Tim Allen. <laughs> and so then he was like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on I'm this. I'm just doing yeah. it as soon as and I'm not gets... even going to read the script. I love and he it. got a banger. He He literally, that is so, it's so perfect, that casting of... <laughs> His yeah, voice. John, John oh Goodman as Sully as well, like one of the most yes. war- yes. warmest yeah. voices. Oh my god! I know we've already talked about it inside Lewin Davis, but I, when he shows up in that, and that is one of my favourite John Goodman performances because he's like horrible. He's really yeah. horrible oh. and nasty. And I'm like, I kind of, and the same with like Ten Cloverfield Lane, but he is such a warm. You do just kind of want to hug John Goodman, or you want to be be hugged by him, and I want to hug yeah. Sully. Coming, coming. Back to Toy Story, I just wanted to to quickly bring this up, is that I think this is quite common among Pixar films as well. They often don't have a good versus evil um, 
like conclusion. It's never, oh, we defeat evil, that's the end. Because in, in Toy Story, uh, it's actually Woody's jealousy that kicks Buzz Lightyear out, and it's it's Woody standing in front of the way of change. And he himself has to, you know, have this inner change and learn to love Buzz Lightyear. So it's not Sid. Sid's not the, the villain in that film, and I think that happens um, possibly in... Toy Story Two, and I think in Monsters Inc. How Toy would... Story Two, you've you've got um, Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park, isn't he? Is it Al at Big Al's toy barn? Yeah, where he's like, you think he's sort of the villain, but it's really that he just cares for the toys when when Andy doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or Andy's like losing that care. Um, yeah, and yeah, you're right about Woody's kind of being the the source of badness in in the first one because it is his jealousy of like it, it i think it's more of a looking like um uh if you think of it from like a generational perspective being threatened by the younger generation by the newer models by mm. you know learning to coexist with each other and appreciate uh what each different person can bring to the table yeah, yeah, not making it all about boomers versus zoomers versus millennials versus doomers. Um, it's not about that, is it? I think um, I really like the fact that you've got this. You've got this boomer zoomer. This this was pre millennium though, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> I, don't I don't know if there could be a millennial pre millennium. I'm just throwing throwing some buzzwords out there for the, uh, for the marketing <laughs> department. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, I've got a buzzword for you, Lightyear. <laughs> yes, nice. We'll we'll come to Soul with that. Um, that how emotion uh, drives the story. Next though, two thousand three. What was the film? It's Finding Nemo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and this this was the first Pixar film which just completely was like, you know what? This film is just pure emotion led. I mean, the first. The first 10, 15 minutes, maybe even five minutes, is just uh, uh, these these little fish losing their their sons and daughters, and and it's just heartbreaking. It's and it's so vivid and just it pulls this emotion out of you, which you you wouldn't know that cinema could do. You know, especially it's about fish. Like how when do you cry about a fish? It is one of the uh, that opening scene is one of the scariest f- scenes in film I've ever seen, even to this day. I rewatched Finding Nemo not that long ago, and it's st- that big opening still upsets me. Yeah, like, so I think m- even more than the opening of Up, which we'll get to. Oh, oh, they just rip you to shreds, don't they, and put you back together? These these Pixar films. <laughs> they do. But yeah, Finding Nemo, uh, I love it. I love. Again, I love the casting, we, especially Willem Dafoe as the stripy fish. I can't remember his name. Oh yes, Willem Dafoe. Scar, isn't it? yeah, Scar, it's yeah, Scar, known, yeah. There's so yeah, many voices. Yeah. This is really interesting to me because I haven't done a lot of kind of, I guess, IMDbing or Wikipediaing of um, if it's even a word of uh, Pixar films. So I'm kind of learning all these, yeah, these voice actors. I had no idea. Yeah, and then you're like, oh yeah, wait a minute. When you watch um, the like stu- the Studio Ghibli dubs, even like the earliest, 
earliest ones like Norseka Valley of the Wind. They've got incredible casting. Like Norseka's got uh or Norseka has got Patrick Stewart, Shia Buff, I think. Um, yeah. Whoa. It's got a crazy. absolutely brilliant cast. Uh they all do. we can we can talk about the cast of Soul right here, right now, because this film has very prominent actors, especially today i mean i had no idea any of the actors watching the film i was kind of like oh who's that do i know that and it wasn't until after watching it i looked at who it was and i was yeah. just like whoa so it's jamie jamie fox jamie fox is the lead character uh i think you also have tina fey and uh possibly other you've got graham norton <laughs> graham norton was such a nice surprise yeah really nice yeah. surprise richard, richard Iwadi. Iwadi. yeah yeah yeah, um, Richard Iwadi. Fantastic. Unmistakable voice of Richard Iwadi. Also Another a, Ipswich uh, boy. An Ipswich boy. Another Ipswich... Uh, <laughs> doesn't we? have the accent, but... Uh, He's got an accent. A very <laughs> noticeable accent, yeah. voice, doesn't he? Yeah. Such a noticeable voice. Yeah, so what we'll do is... This is where we'll just start talking about Soul, because I think we can come back to... Um, we'll come back, We'll dip in and out of yeah, this timeline. Yeah, yeah? yeah we, can, we, can, we can move yeah. back and forth and edit stuff, can't we, I think? Yeah. Do you want to go soul? I think yeah, so. Baby. Yeah, because we've got this momentum now. We're just like, you know, we'll come back. We, like, it, it's not Pixar's. This is ones on soul. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, thoughts. What do you think of soul? What do I think of soul? That is a big question, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. What do I think of soul? I think. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. So I watched soul. I watched soul maybe two weeks ago. Um, and I it. It obliterated me. I was yep. blubbering like a baby. <laughs> um, I was weeping like a small child after the gorilla had just been taken by the RSPCA. The monsters. At what what point in the film was this that you you know had these emotions and um, connected think, to this film? Hmm, I think I kind of saw it coming. I guess it has very, um, as we'll talk about, has very kind of has a lot of abstract, very metaphysical themes, doesn't it? And I think throughout it, you're sort of given these moments. Um, I definitely had my first little um, little cry when uh, when Mister Mister Soul Mister Joe Gardner uh, Jamie Fox himself um, first passes away. Yep. And he first meets Tina Fey. Number twenty two. Number twenty two. <laughs> yeah. So that so that's the soul that's the soul character and and it's in the soul world. So so should we just get into that and and so. Uh, classic Pixar has got a fairly unique concept, and half the film is trying to tell you this is this is the world, and they make it believable. And you know, so you've got the actual world, and then you've got the soul world, and this is uh, a common theme within Pixar films is to to kind of take you along this journey, but also relating to the characters. So when Joe Gardner dies, he his soul is going up to the this greater power which is obviously the great some, beyond the great beyond which could could be you know a universal end or a transference of that soul to a different place or you know it's it's so open i love it i, I don't want to get too much into that at this point can i just say i really i really like the visuals of the great beyond oh my god yes. when he's yeah, going yeah, up beautiful. the stairs because it it's kind of terrifying and beautiful it's that like when you're looking at well obviously we haven't looked into inside a black hole but yeah. that thing where it feels like it's it's not moving, it's getting bigger, it's like 
it's not just getting bigger it's enveloping you it's surrounding you you are falling into it even though you're going up to it i i loved it i really loved the it's the kind of thing that. you you can play with um really well in in 3d animation and in this and in this using this tech to kind of make it i think i think it would have been very hard to make something as powerful using live action without you know an unbelievably high budget obviously pixar films do have that high budget but um yeah i don't know i feel like it really lended it the story really lent itself to animation um yeah yeah, yeah. you know well it's so it's so it's like how do you how do you visually describe the unimaginable or not necessarily the unimaginable the unfilmable you know and yeah, totally what this film does is just pour all these ideas into this like visual development and and even in the real film world i think there's so much awesome jazzy style because that's another element of the film and we'll get to um the music side um which connects to the soul world in in a certain way so yeah we'll go into the soul world but to get that transitional and it's like textures, there's layers, there's this this feeling of just, oh my God, this is the end. Like, that's literally how you feel, isn't it? You're like, oh, like what happens that? And then <laughs> whoosh, you get into this lovely kind of playful, abstract soul world, which is where all these souls get developed. And um... it's like the, uh, the boat in Willy Wonka, like that, that sort mm. of going through the, different threshold of existence yeah am am i right in thinking that this was originally about an animator not a musician and that is why the great beyond is like presented as the history of animation you know when he goes through it just goes through like line drawings and then black and white and yeah i think it's like a history of pixar i think ultimately this film was co-directed by an animate well um two guys so it was pete doctor and i can't remember the name of the the other guy but they both have a love for jazz music so i think that's where the jazz comes from obviously there's going to be oh you know you could you could say it's like about animators and things and all that but there is like they did pull in jazz musicians to come up with the music and Mm. to also inspire the character of joe because his 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 world is so believable with like this black community when they go to the hairdressers and he's there, you know, wanting like a new do and just how slow that that comes. And I love that kind of so you're for the for the listeners who, who haven't watched the film or I hope that you have watched the film <laughs> to <laughs> yeah, be fair. I, I assume we're gonna you, get into full spoilers. Yeah, the less you know about this film, the better going in. Because I, I watched the trailer and I just didn't want to watch the film. I was like, oh wow, like here's a black guy, you've killed him. I was just like, what does that say about white? The white kind of. I I think you know. it still gets a bit problematic in the film, considering that I would say the majority of the film, Jamie Foxx's voice is in the body of a cat, and the and Joe is the voice is voiced by Tina Fey for a lot of it. Yeah, a white woman. It's like a very strange kids-friendly get-out where a white person has taken over the body of a black person. Yes, let's talk about this because I think this is like probably the only bad thing that I could, I could, um, I could come up with this film. Yeah, I guess it's the only criticism that I've sort of thought about. Um, Actually, no, I have another one, but yeah, this is. Let's go for it. How do you feel about that, Ryan? How do I feel about that? Um, <laughs> hmm. I guess I've heard that from what I've kind of, I guess, read on the internet about the film is that I've heard that maybe some people are annoyed at the fact that he was, 
I guess, um, depicted as the main character protagonist, Joe, is depicted as a um, jazz musician. Um, and I guess there was some, like, maybe some stereotyping going on there, possibly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the barbershop scene, maybe, and his, his, uh, his family, and I don't know. But I haven't really read into the criticism too much and I kind of need to do a little bit more reading into that yeah well how how did you feel with it from your from your standpoint how did you feel like it would affect the black community or even how how did where do we go from here do you know what I'm saying it's like if this if it takes 25 years for a Pixar film to finally put a black guy as a lead character and he's not perfect he's still you know they they literally you know use him as a kind of vehicle to get to the soul world so you're like oh okay like there is this kind of carelessness about it but mm. that pixar's other films aren't you know white people it is like animals it's just imaginative ideas just a lot of white voices but what i do like about uh they do sort of make a joke about it with tina fey's character where he says he asks uh, why she sounds like that and she just says like oh it's the most annoying it's the voice that everyone finds the most annoying like a middle-aged <laughs> white woman a karen. Oh, <laughs> a karen that was a good little joke i appreciate that yeah <laughs> and i appreciated all funny. the references to all like famous historical figures trying to yeah totally to teach her. That, like, they yeah. were absolutely brilliant um yeah yeah i i mean the problem is I can't really speak on on the representation part because I am a white man. We're all white people, yeah. We all are. We are all white people, very white people. But that was just something that sort of I thought about because it seemed like it was getting very much bigged up as this, you know, Pixar taking a new step uh, into the mainstream and and having better representation and diversity in their films, which I think is very important. Yeah, from from now on as well, we've delved into a little bit of the history of Pixar going forward, and also the past short films that uh, Pixar put to production. We've got um, a film which was a a film called Bao. Yep, which uh, is this Asian family. It's it's my favorite Pixar short, and it's a mother and a mother and son. And this this drove me to to tears in the cinema again. Yeah. It's just the way that Pixar does it. I've never heard of this one. It's on YouTube. For the listeners, this is on YouTube. Was it before Incredibles 2? Yeah, it's before Incredibles 2. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I cried. I was like, Christ, I'm crying already, and the film, the actual film hasn't started and, already. And let's talk about creativity. I mean, like, for a studio to uh, traditionally put out a, a short film before the the kind of theatrical feature this is like something that people look forward to and it just i feel like it sparks creativity and they they enable their creative team to come up with ideas and and i think that's the the true almost creative limitless of limitlessness of pixar is that they inspire their their teams in this kind of way it's always a really nice surprise because I do forget about it when I go and see a Pixar film in the cinema. I always forget that I'm going to get a short beforehand. <laughs> yeah, and when you see same. something like Bao, or I think my favourite before Bao was uh, the Day and Night one before Toy Story 3. Yeah. Which is very good. And was 
Paper Man was. No, that's Pixar, a, was that's it? Disney, or is that Disney? Disney. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always remember the fantastic, Paper Man's very good anyway. Fantastic uh, one with the birds on the uh, telephone wire. Yeah, but that was before. Monsters I think that's Inc. the first. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the like the first one we were probably aware of yeah. as children. Yeah, 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 I always remember that one. Sorry. For the birds, I think it's called. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> so fun. So fun. Um, it was re-rendered, I think, um, in twenty in twenty twelve before oh. before they released uh, Monsters Inc. in three D. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, fascinating. I mean, the, the the short films, like the current and the new short films that have, have come out, have diversified. I feel like the characters are getting there's there's you know disability and there's different cultures i mean with coco for example you had south american but okay i i absolutely love coco but we do need to talk and and you know it's representation of south america but i think everyone forgets do you know what disney tried to do with coco do you know what they originally wanted to call it no they wanted to call it the day of the dead and they wanted to trademark it what which is this fucking disgustingly imperialist oh, mentality yeah, yeah, yeah. of trying to trademark an entire culture's Culture, celebration yeah. and festivities yeah hmm, uh, sure but i think that. that's definitely more a disney thing than yeah oh uh, yeah 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 that sounds like it might thing. be coming from the top you know coming from walt himself in his cryo chamber <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, it's like uh, the new God of War game. Should you would expect it to be called God of War Ragnarok because of what the first game sort of hints at? I highly imagine. Uh, I have a very strong feeling that Disney have trademarked Ragnarok after four Ragnarok. They've trademarked the word. I Ragnarok. have a strong feeling because we still don't have a name for this God of War, and I can't and I can't think of a name that is better suited for it than Ragnarok because it's it's hinted that it's well. The teaser for it says Ragnarok is coming, but yeah. we haven't got a name yet. I think they're probably in talks or something. And that's that's like a word from an entire mythology and civilization. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, sorry. I'm sorry to be the angry man on this episode. That's fine. I mean, I watched, <laughs> I watched this film, Soul, on Disney+. Plus. Same. Um, and what is... For, is it a consumerism, you know, constantly having to pay to uh, to keep up with, you know, the latest thing? What what is what's Disney Plus to you? How do you feel about it? Um, I view it as it costs me five ninety nine a month to have access to every episode of The Simpsons, every episode <laughs> of The Clone Wars and Rebels, the and, the Mandal- on there. and The Mandalorian. The whole- yeah. Oh the my whole God. of the Simpsons. Literally. Okay, fair enough. I might buy it. It cost me five ninety nine a month to have all of those, yep. which is half the price of my antidepressants, and it's twice as effective. Half the price of my antidepressants, and twice as effective. Yeah, they they cost me a tenner a month. That's 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 Disney's trademark right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's um that's interesting. I didn't know. I haven't got it. I I've watched Soul um using someone else's um disney plus membership but i think i don't know i think it makes sense because they've got such a like wide back catalog and they've consumed or they bought out rather and and um yeah got the rights to to the whole sort of star wars universe now haven't they which is obviously not not new, not recent news but um it's still quite interesting and 
eventually they'll own DC as well. Yeah, they own Marvel. I'm sure they're going to buy DC. I yeah. think it, that's a that's a whole other topic. Is Disney having a monopoly on every franchise? Yeah, it's which I feel one. like is going to happen. And personally, to me, the only the only company within Disney that actually prizes creativity and allows for diversity like at its truest form is Pixar. I don't think there's one hundred percent. I don't think there's a other branch of Disney that currently how it stands today, I think they're just riding off the back of this nostalgic, like we did all these films and you know, we're currently kinda like I think they're very pastiche well not pastiche, what's like the middle of the road. They are super pastiche though. They're pastiche. I think they're, so. They're remaking their own films now. Yeah. Like, they've completely <laughs> yeah. lost their creativity. Let's Have you seen again. the Lion King remake? I don't want to talk about it. I know we're talking about a film with, called Soul. It's the most soulless film I've ever seen. If you close your eyes, it's no, it's nice to listen to the voices. I thought I would be well up for it. Childish Gambino as Simba, <laughs> Beyonce as Nala, yeah. John Oliver as um, Zazu. What's that Childish Gambino lyric again? The Mufasa one? I think that's... That's what landed in the part, wasn't it? <laughs> That's what got in the part. Mikasa Mukasa. Mufasa Something like that. Something like that. Okay, just a quick fact check for you, Matt from the future, as always. Uh, the song that they're referring to is 3005 by Charles Gambino, and the lyric is, Girl, why is you lying? Girl, why are you Mufasa? Bravo. Anyway, back to the past. He manifested it, didn't he? He was like, One day, one day Disney are going to come for me. He never got to be Miles Morales, sadly. Never got to be who? Miles Morales. There was uh, a huge. I feel like, like he's, he's bigger than that, though, isn't he? Oh, well, I think he's too old for it now. But he was in Homecoming, and he and he plays he plays Miles Morales's uncle because at the end he's like, "Oh yeah, my nephew Miles is a big fan of you." You're like, "Oh, you got you got that little that little nod." But anyway, yeah, yeah. So so Jamie Fox, Jamie Fox is uh, Joe Dis- Joe. What's his name? Joe Gardner. 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 Yeah, yeah. In this film, he aspires to be a jazz musician and i feel like this film is trying to say you know you if you try and try and try for your goals like you'll miss out on life that's kind of that's the hugest theme of this running through this film i think Mm. i agree can i read you a quote that uh came back to me when i rewatched this film that i think i saw on probably twitter or reading something but there is an author called Anne Helen Peterson who wrote a book called Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And she said, The rhetoric of do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life is a burnout trap. By cloaking the labour in the language of passion, we're prevented from thinking of what we do as what it is, a job, not the entirety of our lives. Mm. What, so in so in the film, he he is essentially yeah a struggling artist, I guess, and he's working as a a high school um, temporary music teacher at high school, isn't he? Um, yeah, I think. And he basically gets an offer to do that full time, which is a steady job, um, and is you know kind of encouraged by his mother, who says, "Yep, yeah, great, you can finally sort of you know get a real job. You'll be able to kind of have some security." She says, "You can't eat dreams or something exactly. along those lines." Yeah. And I would disagree. I think you can eat dreams. Um, and I eat dreams for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I am <laughs> perfectly healthy. And then he falls down a manhole. After getting his dream. Yeah, after getting his dream. After getting his slot at the jazz club with a, a really prolific um, jazz artist. 
that he really likes. I think she was, she played a wind instrument, didn't she? Is it clarinet? Clarinet, yeah. I'll tell you what, my favourite genre of film is men shouting passionately about how much they love jazz. <laughs> this, Whiplash, La La Land. It's just jazz and it's dying, people. Right. We we have to talk about the uh, the part of the film in which Joe him Joe plays the piano to get back to the soul world. This scene for me is what kind of just just it made me love this this film even more because it was this is the link to your soul playing you know creating creating is a link to your soul. I think that was the kind of the theme there and there's other connections as well with uh graham norton is this kind of hippie guy um doing what he loves which is flipping a sign uh a very profound clear character in himself is just tuned into you know these ideas that he has about astral planes and things but when when joe sits down and plays the piano to to kind of come back to the soul world to kind of right his wrongs with this uh 22 character it just it just kind of it speaks volumes about why he wants to play in the first place, and is it is it creative in itself, or is it because he's trying to connect to this twenty two who he's kind of not fallen in love with, but he has a connection with, and I think that's ultimately where kind of creativity comes from is our connection to love and loving other people. Interesting, because I read I loved that scene. I, that was the only. Actually, that what that scene didn't make me cry. It got very got very close to making me cry. The scene that made me cry is the one where he goes to speak to his mum, and I think that does something very important when that's the one time that you hear his voice speaking to her, even though it's still Tina Fey number twenty two inside him. Like the camera pans around, and it's coming out of his mouth and his voice. Yeah. That scene made me cry. But the one you're talking about, where he's playing the piano, it's him looking at the like the maple leaf. Um, the rapper, the ticket, yeah. the ticket, all those little things. I saw that more as a like he's paying attention to his surroundings. He hasn't got this narrow vision anymore of I need to become a jazz musician. Of the dream, yeah. Of the dream. It's just like I am letting the little things, I'm enjoying the little things, I'm letting them fuel me. So I love that scene. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of little, little scenes in this film which just. I think they're quite they're quite helpful with your own kind of aspirations, especially if you're a creative person. Um, you know, with music and creating music and what you would do to you know, and once you're there, you're happy. And you know, it's, I think this this journey, this this um, this life, and that you know, soul, 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 soul. So yeah, <laughs> I want to talk about why why it's taken twenty five years for Pixar to talk about souls in such a kind of open way, because I think that maybe some of their films have just kind of been a bit too uh, in obsession with their ideas. A bit surface level or something? Yes, or... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they always have this connection to this human emotion. Is this a kid's film? I think that this has probably got that's the, that's the, the hard, uh, yeah i think you're right i don't <laughs> think it's a kid's film at all i think this film more than any other pixar film 
the things that it's talking about are really something that you can only grasp. And I know my, I was maybe some, quite a lot of other Pixar films are like this, but I feel like you can only grasp it once you're older, once you've been chasing your dream. You've lived a bit, yeah. Yeah, it, and it, you know, and I I love that it's about a, a middle aged man. I think that's very important to it because you look at Coco about a little boy. You look at Finding Nemo about, well, to be fair, that's about a parent and a son. That's about a father and son, but Nemo's the kid. Monsters, Inc. is about a kid and fear, which is something kids can very much associate with. He had Up, yeah, which was an older person. So that... But I don't think Up is that good, if I'm honest. Fair. Well, no, let's talk... Let's talk because Pete Doctor's um, second film. And and I think his past two films, Up and... uh, the other film inside out which was kind of it was trying to be soul it was trying to like do what soul did but didn't i don't think it quite hit the um hit the tone well my my thing with up is that i think that the opening what five minutes that uh, that opening montage is some of the best work that pixar has ever done they've told they tell an entire story with no dialogue in five minutes yeah a whole a whole life you know a whole lifetime and it's fucking beautiful yeah, I just think after that, it's it doesn't quite reach the same. Yeah, whenever you hear anecdotes about Up, you always hear that, don't you? About the about the opening scene. Yeah, uh, it's like opening main... an album with. Uh, I'm trying to think of an album with a great album opener, and the rest of it is a bit. The Pyramid Song. Matt from the future again. The song Isaac is referring to is off the album Amnesiac by Radiohead, but it's not the opening track. The opening track is packed like sardines in a crushed tin box, which weirdly we referenced last week. But anyway, I didn't correct him, so I need to get rid of my Radiohead fanboy badge. Anyway, back to the past. But I mean, with with Finding Nemo, it works so well because it's it's so it's so integral to the parent, and you know they had all these potential other fish that you know. Marlin and his wife could have could have had, and he's left with just one, and not even his wife. So I think it just, it's like this constant parenthood. Whereas with Up, it's almost like this new, like that was the old life. This is the new journey that this old man has to come to terms with. That you know he's gonna have to <laughs> look outside of his own shit to um to help others. Yeah, I should watch it again. I I only I've seen it twice, but very I haven't seen it in a very long time. So. But I just remember from the second viewing thinking that I wasn't as into it. But then we saw with Drive that I wasn't that into it. And then the fourth time I watched it, I enjoyed it the most. So you never know. You never know with film. For the fourth wall podcast. Follow us on follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and hi, <laughs> hire us on freelancer.com. <laughs> to to talk to you in person. We'll come to your house. Yeah, and we'll talk to, at you. Won't talk we'll with talk you. at you, yeah. Eat through your letterbox, you know, if you want to keep two meters apart, we're happy to to play this. <laughs> talking of t- talking of um, uh, of dialogue and, and talking to two different audiences, maybe within within film, like it's interesting when we when we look at a lot of Pixar's back catalogue, we can see something going on um, with there's I guess there's a a plot line and a kind of a narrative that maybe young younger people children could understand and there's the kind of wave of adult references that's laid on top of that which keeps the parents occupied um, and keeps them engaged in the film but I feel like with um, Up that's almost flipped and you've got this very um, this very metaphysical quite complex narrative for um, 
for adults to understand. And then you've got these moments of like kind of a silly cat. Um, squirrel. Kind of squirrel. That's the best yeah. part of the entire film, um, other than the open. And and I guess uh, you know, and other elements to to kind of keep the kids um, engaged and and and, f- and find it interesting. And I like how they flipped it. I feel like they could only really do that in animated film while streaming has been a thing, and whilst um, they've been around for long enough to kind of get confidence to do that. I think because I don't know if they. I don't know if I don't know if Soul is a film that you would necessarily take to children to the cinema with, um, but you would definitely maybe put it on at home and kind of not necessarily um, be too worried about them being still and engaging throughout the whole film. Um, yeah, so it's kind sense. of worked out. It's kind of worked out that you know it was it was put on at Christmas Day. Mm. on onto a streaming service for people to kind of put on at the and that you know a pixar film was uh the last film i saw in the cinema before the first lockdown i went to see onward which no one's really talking about and i can i can sort of see why i didn't think it was amazing but that is the most i've ever cried at a pixar film mm. and it was definitely because of I don't. Well, I'm guessing you two haven't seen it. I know. No, I know what the storyline is. Yeah. Is this the kind of fantasy genre suburbia? Yeah, it's like fantasy suburbia. So it's a yeah. it's a really cool world. Um, that basically they're trying to bring their dad back to life through magic. Nice. Uh, do you mind if I just go ahead and spoil it? Yeah. Just yeah, like yeah. the end. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen Onward. they finally managed to bring their dad back, and it's like in the middle of a sort of big battle type thing and the uh it's the young brother and the old brother and the and the whole film the young brother is the one who wants to get to meet his dad because he was never old enough to remember him and what he ends up doing is he he tells his older brother he's like no you're the one who has the memories with him you're the one who get who should be the one to say goodbye and that whole like that brother relationship fucking tore me apart yeah yeah even though me and my brother don't didn't have the same father um and we don't really have we have a very (laughs) strange relationship with our mother in that we find her quite annoying but (laughs) it was just that like that selfless love that he had for him to be like no i don't i know i've never met him but that means i'm not losing anything like I would, you know, I would only be gaining something. Whereas you, you get to have that final connection with someone who meant so much to you. Mm, mm. I mean, that is one of the most powerful things, and that could entirely be just a really personal reaction to it. And I, I imagine it is because of the fact that no one's really talking about it. Yeah. Well, well, Matt, I, I watched this. Um, the director talk about how how he came up with the idea for the film. And and you can actually find this on on the Disney Plus um, little extras. You can watch some videos and and things oh, okay, with yeah. Pixar. It's, it's pretty cool. And and he kind of talks how it literally is his life. So he's he lost he he lost his dad when he was two two or three years old, and his older brother had become that father figure without him him knowing it. And this film was kind of an ode to his brother um, for for that role. And which you know, is, I need a drink. It's fascinating, <laughs> and it's it's trust trust Pixar to have this, hum, this completely 
human connection at the forefront and literally running through the film. I think that is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, so I guess it's an interesting way to um, process a loss and process um, a super personal loss, but then also make it universal. Because I think there's um, there's a lot of power in telling really specific stories, actually, when you're trying to make... When you're, often people will... Um, will try really hard. A lot of creators will try really hard to make something as universal as possible, but you just lose, I think you lose so much. Um, if you, if you don't do that, um, you actually gain a lot more by, by, um, sorry, you lose so much if you do do that, sorry, but you gain a lot more if you, if you keep things specific to your, your circumstances in your life. Um, yeah, I think that's a really, a really strong thing that Pixar does setting their, um, their plots in very specific worlds with very particular neurotic characters that have, um, really bizarre quirks and it's not sort of -of run-of-the-mill happy-go-lucky protagonists that all look the same you know Uh, i'm into that so i was just having a look at what their next film is have you heard of this luca yes yeah yeah this is their next feature film set to be released on june 18th this year this is the synopsis set in a beautiful seaside town on the italian riviera disney and pixar's original feature film luca is a coming-of-age story about one young boy experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. Lucas shares these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. Now, I don't know about you, but that, to me, just sounds like Pixar are making Call Me By Your Name. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen Call Me By Your Name. It doesn't sound like a homoerotic... um... Sorry, listen to this. It's set on the Italian Riviera. It's a coming-of-age story about one young boy experiencing an unforgettable summer, sharing these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. (laughs) This is straight up Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, we hope it's homo then, yeah, because we were talking about diversity. They've They've done Soul, which was like their first black protagonist. Now, now it's now it's a, hom- a homosexual protagonist. That'd be fantastic. Oh, I think I think I agree. It does sound like Call Me by Your Name. I love Call Me by Your Name. That's a great film. It is a great film. I'll have to watch that film. I think the the way that you two have talked about it, I think I'll, I'll give it a watch. So the Soul World, you have the before life and the afterlife. But in this playful, this is where all the souls get uh, their kind of badges i guess and it's like personality traits you could you could link that to you know dna and things or whatever um but how do you think on a very on a very broad term how where where do you think souls come from i think you need to ask that question with starting with another question do we believe in a soul uh do i i think i think soul you say soul to someone, they instantly have this kind of connection to it. I don't know what. How how do you feel about just the word and you know? Because it's not it's not we're not talking here about God. I guess it has musical connotations too, doesn't it? Which is why it's used in this film. Yeah, even though it's jazz. Exactly, but um, yeah, weird. I guess there's a link there. But the question could be: Is is soul God? Because I think soul is a very human thing the way we look at it whereas god could be for a lot of cultures a an unknowable force but i think the soul is kind of our way of kind of inhibiting that force as humans and this is you know the way i talk in 
passionate ways that is my soul coming out in you know i think people say soul is like the thing that gives us our like not just our sentience but our consciousness our consciousness our being our sense of being and aware of being and it gives us a lot of pain i feel like having a soul is comes with it comes with obviously a lot of pleasure but i think having a soul is also an incredibly painful experience um to be aware of your yourself to the point where you know you're hyper aware and you're sort of dealing with that whole um that whole sort of messy part of human experience i think is quite difficult but yeah i think i think a soul like maybe exists within your body i don't necessarily believe personally that a soul will leave your body and will go anywhere um although i love the the idea of that and i'm and i'm you know i'm into i'm into that as a narrative device i think that works really well in this film uh, i don't think you need to necessarily believe in the afterlife to appreciate the film or you necessarily need to believe in even having a soul to appreciate the film because it's i guess it's not necessarily about that is it the straight up definition of soul is the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal oh, regarded yeah. as immortal so yeah it's it's the thing that exists independently of our physical selves yeah 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 there's there's the ideas out there in in cultures uh which 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 kind of say you know we are we are one soul and we are just living various lives kind of through through time um mm. That's one way to look at it. I think, you know, we only have what we, we know at this time. You know, we've only got our kind of human selves listening to this, unless you're a, a, a rogue squirrel uh, listening to this somehow <laughs> through, through a tin can or, or, or um, at, at a uh, neighbor's window um, in an apartment <laughs> block. But yeah, a soul for me connects quite quite literally to this inner spirit and in this film, they they go into that a little bit with how how, how did you get there? Yeah, the zone and the, and and that, I think what Ryan was saying about it's it's quite a dark you know to 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 live. We're gonna have life. We're gonna have horrible experiences, you know, and to deal with that, that we're taking them along with us. Yeah, and then they never fade away, or they'll you know you can kind of learn to build resilience and feel like you you know what to do there is that scene in this film where they go into this kind of almost depression of a oh of yes a, of a world is. you know and and that's my favorite part of the entire the film lost, that the lost simple souls. concept the fact that the, the the lost souls and the people in the zone inhabit the same space it's like that it's just a very thin line between the two yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. idea of entering the zone, you know, whether it's creating music or playing Tetris, which is my zone. Yeah, yeah. Being lost in another realm. Yeah. Is the same as being lost to to reality, really. I think that's what they're that yeah. the lost souls yeah. are. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i yeah, I think that is such a fucking incredible concept, uh, when thinking about the metaphysical nature of, of being in the universe. I kind of wish they explored it a little more, but at the same time, I don't think they need to. I just think that little, just saying, oh yeah, they they exist in the same space. It's like fuck, damn it, Pixar, <laughs> you've done it. <laughs> yeah, that's how I, this that's how I feel about this film. I feel like they've done it. But I had goosebumps watching it because I was like, this is the film where they finally get inside and talk about truth. 
You know, this is a mm. film where they're they're not just talking about, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this thing came to life or this this fish had an emotion and and things. You know, this is a, literally. It, it, I connect to it in in the way that it's visualizing a, a human aspect of us all. Firstly, which is spiritual in nature but it is so connected to creativity and it also it talks about or the the film has this connection of two souls and that's kind of what love is isn't it it's like two souls connecting and kind of dancing and and things and that i love i love that part of the film how do you two feel about what are your thoughts on that about the relationship yeah the relationship between the two i love i love the fact that um initially you're kind of you're um, shown these these flashbacks of her getting her I don't know what you call it spirit training um, with all these kind of very esteemed um, historically sort of esteemed um, characters yeah yeah um, and you know none of it works and then you know you have you have that comparison don't you with all the all the achievements of all these characters and then you have joe's achievements laid out in front of him when he is tasked with um giving her 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 some training some guidance being a mentor and he sort of is basically his life is mirrored um back at him and he becomes like he's he's very dissatisfied with what he sees um which is quite interesting uh, which i think speaks to a lot of people i guess when you're sometimes when i'm shown or when i see the grandiose achievements of other people often i can feel actually more demotivated um to do big things because i'm sort of i feel over encumbered by the weight of 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 pressure or um by the kind of uh, monumental scale of the achievements of others i think wow fucking hell i might just I'm, i can't be i can't even be asked that sounds that sounds like a monumental task like i'd, I'd rather just not not do that please i'd rather just opt out which is what 22 does yeah and then obviously it changes doesn't it at the end and you kind of get shown a very different image it all comes full circle i would like to jump off that point because you made some excellent points there can i start a new recurring segment on this show called the philosophy corner with matt goward where i reference some philosophy based on this thing philosophy with matt goward I like the jingle. There was a famous German philosopher called Martin Heidegger. He wrote a book called uh, Being and Time, which is a very long book, very German, a lot of very complicated German words in it. But I'm going to try and give you the gist of it. Can you do it in German? Uh, I can say some of the words in German. No. He says we've got, (laughs) we've got, there's like three major problems that human beings have in terms of their being. He says the first one is that we've forgotten to notice that we're alive. And that is the concept of being. And we need to confront the strangeness of everything, the strangeness of the world, which I think I'd definitely do a lot more recently. I know we even talked a little bit about this last week when we were talking about the denial of death. But yeah, just Mm. looking at the world and thinking how fucking strange and terrifying and awesome and mysterious it is. But he says that everyone is running from confrontation with Das Nix, which is the nothing aka death his second point is that we've forgotten that all being is connected our jobs and our daily routines make us egotistic and focused narrow-minded 
we only see others and nature as a means rather than an end. And we need to achieve a unity of being, which is understanding that we're all connected and use that as like a springboard to a deeper form of generosity and overcoming alienation and egotism. Wow. I think that's awesome. Philosophy needs to rip open politics and just give them a new one because politics needs to have this this way to look at our human society and to integrate that unified being as you just talked about honestly i think that that is where it, true kind of honest decisions and you know communities will really start to to peel away that kind of hook that we have on finances and uh, you know consumerism capitalist capitalistic views and and that independent living which I feel during this pandemic has pushed us into the box that we 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 call home. You know, I mean, I'm I'm very lucky to be, have loved ones and to be able to communicate to them. I'm honestly very uh, privileged in that sense. We're definitely talking from a place of privilege as people who work from home, not yeah. having to put our lives at, on the front yeah. line and risk yeah. it. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, and those people, you know, how they they'll have they'll have these, you know, hor- possibly horrific, you know, experiences during their work, especially healthcare workers. And to, to come home to this isolative kind of, in you know, independent way of, you know, keeping themselves away, it's just, yeah, it is, it's the toughest, yeah, one of the toughest times in, um, definitely the toughest time in the 21st century, I mean. Mm. But of probably the last... 80 years since since um since the war especially in the western world yeah there's there's an author i can't remember his name but he was he made some points recently he was like if you try and look at where we are as a entire global civilization where we are now in comparison with the rest of human history we are in objectively the best time possible like obviously where we are now we think this is absolutely terrible it is it like it's awful global pandemic forced apart from each other trapped in our little boxes but if you think what like when was penicillin invented what yeah yeah like before that people would get cuts and just die there's a really interesting it's interesting though isn't it because because there's a really great book um really really popular book actually that i read recently that many people would have read called sapiens by um mm. evil Noah harari and he's in in that book he talks about um he talks about this idea of of not necessarily measuring um civilization by gdp or by you know uh, commercial economic growth but measuring it by happiness and and actually over time how have we measured our um how have we measured our societies have we measured them based solely on their military achievements on their economic achievements yeah we have and we've got this kind of model for what an ideal um society might look like um economically but we haven't got any of these models for what a society might look like morally spiritually i think that's quite interesting the fact that it's built into the very metrics of our society um and that it's quite hard to imagine um a world in which those metrics aren't um are changed somehow and and aren't necessarily um so linked to the, the global market i think that's really important to remember is that Although yes, we are objectively in in a place of um, great privilege, 
I think I think the human psyche and human spirit has suffered actually as, as a result of um, industrialization and, and and of and of um, a sort of hyper future capitalist society, um, and actually like it's not the answer and we've, we've kind of got to a point where we know that now yeah. it's time to it's time to look at alternatives isn't it it's absolutely incredible that uh people who you know the people that we are calling heroes minimum wage workers in this pandemic are still on a minimum wage yeah and that minimum wage has not been increased and the government is calling them heroes it's like Thank you for putting your lives at risk for fuck all money because we don't want to increase it. Hello, just a quick one for me. Not a fact check. I just need to explain why there's going to be a jump in topic. So basically, after I said that little bit that just happened, Isaac said some really good stuff, to be honest, about love, you know, how we need to learn to love each other, respect each other, be kind to each other. Fucking brilliant stuff. Anyway, the f idiot moved his laptop the entire f time i don't know what's wrong with him i don't know why he thought that was a good idea he needs to learn to have some f***ing respect for this podcast anyway it sounded so terrible and then me and ryan jumped off his points but it makes no sense without hearing his stuff so i've just had to cut it all out sorry about that but to be fair this could do with being shorter anyway so yeah that's that the next topic is a bit of a jump but you know enjoy it this is exactly what uh Martin Heidegger says, he says, we forget to be free and live for ourselves. You know, we need to learn to appreciate the brief time we have before before the end. Oh, yeah. Before the zone. The great beyond. Before the zone. Before we're transferred. Uh, after into... the zone, actually. Yeah. The reason why I thought of Heidegger is because of, like, the, the actual way that in soul, bringing it back to soul, the way that beings come into the world, they drop through that pit. They're, like, thrown into it. And Heidegger says that we're not born into this world. We don't have a start point. We're thrown into it. We're thrown into a narrow surroundings, uh, a milieu, as the French mm. would say. We need to overcome our thrownness. What he, uh, he's, he doesn't call it thrownness. It's a German word, but I can't remember it. By understanding it and understanding like our provincialism and rise above it to a universal perception because we fail at living for ourselves, we just surrender to like a social, socialized, superficial way of being. And he calls that they self as opposed to our self. Because we follow uh, what he refers to as the chatter, I think he calls it the chatter. The chatter. Well, in his time, it was newspapers, TV, the Twitter, big, big cities. Yeah. Because he was like a reclusive uh, farmer. Essentially, he just lived in a very rural part. He hated the big cities because he thought that everyone was just sheep, essentially, following the chatter, which is now the Twitter. You're right. Well, I, I saw so, you know, um, pension, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll work uh, nine to five. Who says that? Who 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 told you to do that? No yeah, way. Fuck that. It's the, it is the chat. It's the, it's the, it's the expectations kind of... of others. And... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, it's this inability to question like these rules that we've put in place that might have seemed sort of fine at the time when you know technology was so diminished or there was no technology and not not a lot else to do as such. Yeah, like you just think, oh, okay, that's that's the way the world works. I definitely think our I know people hate on millennials and i don't even know if we're technically millennials i don't think we are i think we're generation z 
Gen Z? I think we we might just about be Gen Z. I th- maybe. I think we're right on the cusp um, as twenty five year olds. Then. Yeah, I know my brother was a mil- technically a millennial. I think it's when you. Te- I think you- when you're like a teenager in at the turn of the millennium. We are. We. I've just looked, and we are one year away from being Gen Z. So we are millennials. Oh, um, we are millennials. We are okay. millennials, but we're barely. But we're, we're right I'd on say, the border. I'd say we were. We were husks <laughs> millennials that's exactly how i feel i feel like i'm trapped in a limbo <laughs> you're trapped you're trapped in being. the chatter of trapped in the chatter indeed well, that's an interesting thing though like we talk about this chatter and the fact that there are these um these ways of these ways of living that you kind of might bl- blindly follow sometimes um and sometimes you know you're not even aware of it it's, it's a kind of um symptom of, of you know you're a prisoner of what pre-exists but i think artists do a great job of like um subverting that a lot of the time um and you see that with joe's character don't you because he is essentially kind of <laughs> I, I absolutely love it when we get back to the topic at hand. Uh, we, we've we've firmly broken the fourth wall down now we're coming back to the, <laughs> coming back Put the wall back up lads <laughs> you see that with joe's character because he is um he is essentially kind of having an internal battle between do i you know do i take this temp do i take this now not temporary now kind of fixed position at school and do something I, i'm not entirely happy with but will bring the other people um who are around me um some kind of um happiness relief comfort um and i love. guess and then and then love and then pursuing something that you love and maybe potentially never you know um playing madison square garden or wherever huge venue you know you've got in your head um, as the kind of pinnacle of success but actually like striving to to try and enjoy your passions definitely live live in that yeah over this idea of comfort and i think that's something i i definitely have struggled with in the past you know do i pursue do i pursue my creativity full time do i become a teacher do i you know all this other stuff um so it was really interesting for me to watch it and kind of have these comparisons to you know being an artist even though i'm a visual artist i'm not a musician and definitely feeling that turmoil, you know, on a day-to-day basis and really relating to that. I was really into that part of it. Yeah. That's why I think the character of, is it Des, the barber? Yeah. Is really important. Joe says he was born to be a barber. Mm. And then when he actually, well, when 22 is speaking to him and actually like talking to him, he says, you know, no, I wanted to be a vet, but my daughter was ill. Couldn't yeah. afford veterinary school, but I could afford to go to barber school. And he's like, well, why are you not unhappy? And then he's like, of course I'm happy. It's given me an opportunity to talk to interesting people every day. So like, he's not following his dream, but he's still found happiness. Totally, uh, totally. I think that's that's very important. Yeah, uh, you're right. Message message to to put across. That that's why I think this is quite a complex film because it seems to be throwing a lot of different messages at once. It's sort of saying, yeah. don't chase your dreams. But at the same time, it's written by people who have literally chased their dreams. Like, yeah, you'd imagine that Pete Doctor and all these people at Pixar wanted to be animators. I don't feel like that's the sort of thing that you would fall into. I feel like you'd have to be very focused to, to. I mean, they must get oh God knows thousands of applicants for positions every year. And yeah. although some of these guys would have been there at the start and maybe haven't had to go through that competitive process because they've kind of been there maybe at the beginning or in the early days but um they would have definitely had to had to um have a kind of drive to keep them um at that position and i think 
it's interesting because you have sometimes in the creative fields you might get a little bit of snobbery um, from people that maybe have are pursuing their dreams or have or have have you know followed their dreams or found their dreams or or are living their dreams um when they kind of might look at people that um quote unquote haven't and might look down on them slightly you know and i think that's bullshit actually and i think People forget that sometimes when they are at the top, they forget that. So it's nice to hear that from these from these guys. And that's exactly what Heidegger is saying about the sense of thyself. And he says that when we realise that people can't save us from the nothing, we have to stop living for them. And that's when we can achieve ourself. So that was the very long Philosophy Corner with Matt Goward. Thank you very much. Philosophy <laughs> with Matt Goward. Thank you for that uh, corner talk with Matt Goward. I think I would like to praise... Uh, the founders of Pixar for the innovations that they have and also the way that they inspired each other and uh, challenged film and what was capable. They've turned animation into a completely new thing um, and for storytelling and for kids. You know, we grew up on Pixar. Our childhoods, we were kind of illuminated with... um, you know, animals coming to life, animals having souls, animals having characters and uh, personalities, and that has influenced how I look at the world, which is, you know, it's fantastic. Can you imagine it, it's the it's the early nineties, and you you look around and there's not any there's not really any software available to make feature solely computer generated animation or computers um, like who had a computer you know it was... <laughs> they weren't as they weren't they weren't as they weren't as 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 um prevalent and and i think pixar actually came up with i think i think lucas it's owned by lucas is it lucas film lucas arts man lucas film george lucas was fascinated with telling stories in new mediums so that was when he created lucas arts which made things like secret of monkey island the point sort of point and click adventures the early 90s the indiana jones games and yeah then this other department that was that eventually became pixar yeah they and i know that they created their own piece of software called render man which is which was used um to make obviously to make toy story um toy story one and yeah like the fact that they, they had their own piece of software that you know there wasn't there wasn't you know a breadth of tutorials online it was very new um, a lot of the technology was incredibly new and that and that they managed to you know not only come up with a piece of software but then teach themselves it and then also produce a feature-length film i think it's a really amazing feat oh yeah and a feature-length film that is like a masterpiece yeah yeah it's not a load of shit toy story (laughs) is a 10 out of 10 film oh yeah yeah. it shows you what you can do if if artists collaborate with people in other fields in technology it just it shows you what we are capable of and Mm. and to translate that into a form of powerful entertainment it's a gift it's pretty cool yeah it's it's... definitely a gift to the world have you seen the uh trailer for studio ghibli's next film no which is computer generated i bet that'd be quite controversial with with diehard ghibli fans it is very controversial i'm a, a 2d animator and i don't have a problem with computer because it's always the art always comes first Exactly. The, yeah, yeah. The drawings always come first, especially with Ghibli. You know these these powerhouses. They 
the the good ones especially like you know from pixar there's there's irish companies as well um i can't remember the name of it but they did oh song of the sea yeah song of the sea and yeah it's 2d but you know there's there's 3d in it um it's just a tool at the end of the day computer is a tool and if your art can benefit from it or challenge it then you will have pretty pretty cool outcomes you just have i think you have to trust uh, your process individually um and collaboratively yeah i think you've definitely got to do that there's that very famous video with uh miyazaki uh, hayao miyazaki where he's looking at the i think some st- university students who've created this software that's like a procedurally generated animation thing where yeah. they create like a a char- they literally design a character with i think it's got lots of limbs and stuff it kind of looks like a man centipede type thing and it walks on its own it's not animated it's just behaviors programmed into it and how it should move yeah and you're like fucking hell that is incredible and then miyazaki just shits all over it like really shits over it and i can sort i can sort of see where he's coming from because it's he's like well you've taken out the the creativity part of it but at the same time, I think that that is, it's one of those things where it, yeah, it, it makes it a bit easier, but it also allows. It frees a, you up. It frees, it you, frees up. you up. In all these, all these animated films we'll watch and, and all the VFX stuff you see, there are literally farms where, and I, and I use farms in a kind of not the literal sense of agriculture, but there are farms where there are teams of people uh, working on rendering the imagery, working on, on rotoscoping individual frames. And, and it's an incredibly long and taxing process, you know, um, to go through and actually, you know, is, it would be a massive put off. So I think machine learning and the introduction of machine learning into animation is actually something that would en- will end up making it more accessible for people to make at home. Oh, and yeah. To yeah. Enable more creators to do things without having unbelievably expensive pieces of kit, you know. So I think yeah, it's good. Yeah. There's um, Google have done that thing for Stadia uh where you can it, it's essentially like you take i think you give it a picture or something and it creates an entire art style based on that thing the the reference gan g-a-n yeah gan yeah that's it gan what is that can you what is that so generative uh adversarial network so it's the idea that you feed um you feed a you feed an algorithm i guess a piece of software visual stimuli usually but it can be anything else you know it can be just any 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 kind of data that's usually of the same type and it will look at that data and process it and and usually replicate it um or come up with a new form of it based on the the input so the output will be you know based on the input and a lot of people have done this with with architecture you know they've kind of fed it uh, a number of buildings that follow the same style and then it's produced buildings based on that style so you kind of have new art deco buildings for example being made um, which is quite cool. So, I mean, it enables you to kind of come up with loads of prototypes for your world. It helps with world building, um, you know, and, and I think the selection process is creative as well. You know, it's not, you don't just have to physically sit down and, and necessarily design every little detail of that thing. You know, you see this with curators, you see this with um, artists that use a lot of collage um, in their work. The idea of selection is, you know, just as creative as making something. The idea of purposely choosing something adding it and mixing it with another element is creation itself, isn't it? So yeah, 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 yeah. This is a good one, this one. Yeah. I almost didn't talk about Hotel Transylvania, but uh, <laughs> fuck. I've, ne- I've never seen it. <laughs> I've never seen it. What's it like? What is it Pixar? 
Well, there's this, there's this whole there's this whole generation I think after Pixar um, with 3D animation of just you know not necessarily copycats but certainly studios have yeah, inspired heavily inspired yeah having a go at 3D and I just don't a lot of these films don't have the same creativity that pushes the um, technology far enough in my opinion everything's still quite. Um, Oh, there's like formless, like gooey, like they're just trying to sell toys. I think they're, mm. it, it does have a lot of this and maybe an audience uh, coming into films now could could overlook Pixar, like the, the team and the innovation um, and just be like, oh, no, that's just a, you know, I think a lot I of people write off. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people write off animated films, especially the 3D ones because of that. Because they all kind of look the same. Stuff like, stuff this, like, like DreamWorks. Yeah. There's, Although, there's... but like, <laughs> DreamWorks did make Shrek. We need to, you know, establish that. DreamWorks did make Shrek, which is another 10 out of 10 film. Help me. <laughs> this song is copyrighted. <laughs> I don't know for a fact. <laughs> I always think about, uh, the, fucking hell, what's it called? Flushed Away, which was Ardman and DreamWorks coming together. Was it? Oh, uh, that's cool. Yes. How do you not know it, Ryan? You star in it. Fuck oh, off. <laughs> Everyone that's followed me. I, every every like point of my life that has followed me. <laughs> we'll put a picture on our Twitter of uh, of Ryan and um and Pete Doctor yeah. and the flushed away guy. Because I yeah, and Jerry Seinfeld. And Seinfeld, yeah. And you've got a you've got a Guess reply one, saying yeah. which one's which. Who is should we put Ryan. should we put like images for Seinfeld um and and uh Ruddy or Ruddy or whatever it's from Flushed Away into a GAN, into a machine learning uh piece of software <laughs> produce produce wow. clones of me. I think we have to try it. We have to. We you know, we have to test it. Yeah. But I, I definitely think Flushed Away suffered from that and it's weird thinking because it's Ardman who are like I would say the British Pixar in terms of their creativity and yeah, storytelling. Sort of considered like a, a national treasure, I guess. Yeah. Nick Park, Sheffield Hallam alumni. Nice. I honestly think that uh they that the Ardman Studios after Pixar came out were heavily inspired. Um they they probably were inspired quite a lot by each other. But I think uh, Chicken Run is very similar to A Bug's Life. Um, and then, but then you also have flushed away about rats, and you've got rats too. I think there's these are films that did inspire each other, which I think is, was pretty fun as a as a kid to kind of be like, wow, yeah, like, is this a film? There's two films about <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. rats. <laughs> We've got two blockbuster talking blockbuster rat films, films to choose yeah. from. Yeah, but, yeah, you're right. You're right. But you're right. Like the the message of Ratatouille is is. You know, anyone can cook. Anyone can cook, and also the like. It is a comment on on art critics, which I find really interesting when I when I think about it because I didn't think about that the first time I watched it. I just thought it was a film about cooking rats. Yeah. Whereas I can't tell you what the message of Flushed Away is. No, nah. I think that's what makes Pixar sort of stand apart is that they always have an underlying message. Like, I only just recently watched Inside Out. I watched it about a week before I saw Soul. Yeah. And the fact that, that that the message of that film is just it's okay to be sad, such a simple message. But fuck me! It's okay to have emotion, yeah. And it's okay to like have sadness in your memories and to yeah. like you know, it's just brilliant. I feel it fills the gap where parents may have over not overlooked this stuff, but 
you know, it's entertaining with a teachable thing, something that kids can learn from. So hard, isn't it? I think I've learned a lot of kind of important moral lessons from media um, in the wide sense. And I think sometimes when it comes from someone you might perceive to be an authority figure um, as a child, you know, your parent or your teacher, it can often seem a little bit annoying and uh, contrived and a little bit like rhetoric so it's nice to kind of have these yeah these kind of these teachers in the film yeah definitely and especially ones that you can just turn off if you think they're full of crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i've I, I loved i had a teacher once who said um why why sit through a film at the cinema if you've paid if you've paid money for it and if it's crap why sit through it he said that if the film is crap, he'll happily stand up and walk out of that film because, yeah, you've paid money. You've paid money to have a good time or to to learn something which you want to. And if you're not having a good time, just fucking walk out that yeah. cinema. You know, say nice, th- thank the service people, say thank you very much. But that's a crap film. <laughs> say it to them i'm, I'm yeah. out i'm i'm, I'm out i'm gonna i'm gonna go and feed some Have pigeons you walked out from the cinema at any point guys have you done that yep i did it once yeah i've only done it once and i went i walked out of it to just walk straight into a different film oh. i walked out of oh, ghosts of girlfriends past starring matthew mcconaughey when in the height of his <laughs> rom-com days. Yeah. I think I walked about out about 15 minutes into it and then walked into 17 again, which is bloody excellent, that film. So you walked out of a rom-com into 17 again, starring... <laughs> <laughs> what? what? That was not a good week, was it, for films? Seven, 17 again was fun. Why do you think me, at how old was I? I would say probably 12, 13... Or something. Me, when I was 13, my favourite thing in the world was Friends. So I walked out into 17 again because of Matthew Perry. <laughs> Your favourite oh. thing in the world as a 13-year-old boy was the television series Friends. Yeah. Not Friends that you had. but <laughs> No, no, not Friends I had. They sucked. They sucked. They sucked. That's they sucked. why you're in the cinema I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know you. I didn't know you guys then, did I? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah. Thank you. Well, I, I remember really enjoying Friends, actually. Kind of, I remember enjoying it um, and not necessarily getting all the jokes, but yeah. Totally enjoyed it. Okay, on a on a scale of zero to ten, fellas, where do you plot this? And what in, in one sentence, why do you like this film? Sol. Okay, okay, I'll give it a solid eight out of ten. A solid eight. Solid eight. In one sentence, why do I like it? It juggles a lot of philosophical themes, and I'm a big old philosophy nerd. And it's got Richard Iwadi and Graham Norton in it. There was a comma in there. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that in editing. We'll put a big old, big old comma right there. <laughs> um, okay, my rating out of ten. It's quite interesting, isn't it, when you rate things out of ten because often it will change over time. I remember talking about Drive last time, and it was a good, a good one or two points difference from the time I watched it first the time I watched it second but seeing as I've only seen it once so my first impressions I'm gonna go for a I'm gonna go I'm gonna do decimals in this one decimals allowed Isaac decimals are accepted I'm doing 8.5 baby I'm doing 8.5 um and 
The reason for that is because I felt like it was heartbreaking, but also hopeful. No, actually, no, I'm going to stick with an eight because I just said why I liked it. I think that it juggles a lot of philosophical themes and I think it also struggles to actually answer some of them as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I don't want to be entirely positive about it if I'm only giving it an eight. Yeah, I feel like they may have they may have some more work to do um, in terms of the like kind of uh, the identity politics landscape and how it, how it would kind of sit comfortably in that. And I think that's obviously not a criticism on the um, I guess that's more of a social criticism rather than a criticism of the plot of the narrative. Nice. But you, Isaac. I I wouldn't have brought you two on this if it was anything under a nine. So mm. it's a nine. It's a nine out of ten. We've talked nine. about the pros, mostly pros, and there were a few cons. So there we are. Uh, thank you for listening, listeners. Uh, we'll be on next week with uh, another choice from uh, Ryan. one of us, Ryan. It's Ryan. Yep, Ryan. If you picked. Yeah, next week um, I am going to bring to the table a South Korean film called The Host. Uh, this film, I don't know if you've seen The Host, but The Host is uh, directed by a um, very now famous director, um, Bong Joon-ho, or at least famous in the West, um, who did obviously the fantastic film Parasite. I'm going to do, or I think we're going to do The Host. Um, I think it's a really interesting film. It's a film I haven't seen for a long time, and I remember watching it um, a long time ago and, and being really into it, and I'm going to see how that's held up now that I kind of know a little bit more about the director's later work. Um, so it'd be interesting to kind of watch the thing that isn't, you know, isn't isn't an English language film. Isn't Parasite. Isn't nice. Parasite too. Very true. Can't wait. Thank you for listening. Cheers. See you next yeah, time. Thank you. See you next time. Shoya. Squirrel. Squirrel.